Hey, Cramaholics, it's your host, Kenzie, bringing you another episode this week. But before we get started, I want to tell you about our friends over at Find Me in the Dark podcast. It's a true crime podcast that is absolutely killing it. Eric and his buddies are telling true crime stories that you don't typically hear on any other true crime podcast. My favorite episode is episode 9, called Murder in My City. It's an episode about a serial killer that Eric actually grew up with. You can listen to them on Apple, Spotify, or really any other place that you can find a podcast. Be sure to also join their Find Me in the Dark podcast group on Facebook where they discuss all things true crime. On this week's episode of Crimeaholics, I'm going to be bringing you the case of Brian Carrick. This is another one of those cases that unfortunately originates from my hometown in Illinois. I'm really not sure what's up with that area in Illinois, but the fact that I've been able to pull out three different cases from a small, less than 10 mile radius is just crazy. Brian's case has always stuck with me, one, because obviously it comes from my hometown, Two, it's one of those cases that was talked a lot about in my family. And three, this happened in 2002 and Brian Carrick's body has never been found. Although Brian's body has never been found, there has actually been somebody who was charged for his murder. While I obviously am a firm believer in families getting justice, to me, I feel as though you should have to have a body in order to be able to convict somebody of murder unless you have a substantial amount of other types of physical evidence. Before I get way too deep into this case, let's start from the very beginning because you will understand exactly why I am saying this once I go over this entire case. Brian was from a very small town in Illinois called Johnsburg very far north and really close to Wisconsin. It's very tiny, almost everyone knows everyone, and there's lots of talk and lots of rumors. Brian and his family lived in a home just off of Johnsburg Road, which is one of the main roads that goes through Johnsburg. Brian is one of 14 siblings, and the Carrick family was known as just good, wholesome people. They were one of the most well-known families in Johnsburg. Right across the street from the Carrick home was a store called Val's Foods. This is like a tiny, small grocery store. And at some point, each one of the Carrick kids had worked at Val's Foods either as a stocker or as a bag boy. The family that owned the Val's Foods store is the Cacharos. The Cacharos and the Carricks were very good friends, very close for a long time. The Cacharos were also very well known there in Johnsburg. The Cacharos are a big Italian family that everybody admired. Mr. Cacharo came over from Italy with absolutely nothing and opened up Val's Foods and it became just the neighborhood grocery store and everybody knew who they were. According to ABC's 2020, at the time of his disappearance and death, Brian was working at Val's Foods as a bagger just like his other siblings did. According to Mr. Cacharo, Brian was one of those employees that was just extra helpful. Sometimes Brian would come in on his day off and help out when they were short-staffed. Or there was even times when Brian would come in to grab something from the grocery store and if he saw that they were really busy, he'd just jump in line and start helping bag up all the groceries. Out of all the people that were interviewed about Brian Carrick, not one person had anything bad to say about him. On December 20th, 2002, just five days before Christmas, Brian's mother Terry said that it was his day off, but he walked across the street to Val's anyways, which we already know is not unusual for him. As Brian is walking into the grocery store, he's going through the parking lot and he runs into his brother who also works there. His brother was collecting the carts to take back into the store. They wave at each other 
Brian goes inside Val's, he never leaves, and he's never to be seen alive again. There were several people on shift when Brian went there during this time. A couple people said they saw Brian, he did what he usually does and helps back some food, and then that was it. Nobody ever saw Brian again. And the fact that there's all these people that work in a grocery store, and nobody can really account for what happened to this kid, is one of the things that just really always stuck with me. How do you not know what happened to him? He never left the store. Although there was lots of people on shifts at this time and there was obviously a lot of people coming and going that were grocery shopping, I'm really only going to talk about three people in this episode because these are the three people that mattered the most. That's Mario Cacharo, Shane Lamb, and Rob Render. Mario Cacharo was obviously the son of Mr. Cacharo who owns the store. Mario helped out in the store and did lots of different things. Shane Lamb was a stock boy who had only been working there a few months at the time of Brian's disappearance and death. Shane Lamb was a stock boy who worked there just a few months before Brian's disappearance and death. Shane Lamb is a criminal. Dude has a huge, huge rap sheet. At 14 years old, Shane Lamb had actually served time for aggravated attempted murder. So this is somebody you just don't want to mess with. Rob Render was also a teenager at the time and a lot like Shane Lamb. He had a big criminal record, he abused drugs, and he is actually no longer alive. Years after Brian's murder, Rob Render ended up overdosing on heroin. Out of the three of them, Mario Cacharo and Rob Render were the only two actually physically there in the store when Brian went missing. Brian's mother, Terry, had stated in an interview that she was not too concerned when Brian did not come home on December 20th. He's 17 years old, so it's not like she worried too much that he did not come home. She kind of figured maybe he had stayed out with friends. But what had really got her worried was the fact that the next morning, Mr. Cacharo called to find out why Brian hadn't come to work for his shift. That's not like Brian. Everybody knows he's punctual, he's on time. He would never just not show up to work. So, of course... Being a very concerned mother, Terry ends up calling the police right away. Given that Johnsburg is a small town and the characters are really well known, the police actually take Terry's call pretty seriously and they start looking for Brian and they start questioning people. And police end up finding out that the very last trace of Brian was at Val's Foods and then his trail just goes cold. So they start focusing in on Val's and what they find is shocking. This was something that was highly unusual for Johnsburg, for somebody to just go completely missing and just vanish. And it really affected the town. They had hung up flyers for Brian, they held visuals outside of Val's, and people in the town were just really uneasy because this is not normal. After questioning those on shift that night and questioning those who came into the grocery store to shop, the police started to realize that Brian, in fact, really never did leave the grocery store. So where is he? The investigators end up finding blood that belonged to Brian in one of the aisles of the grocery store and quite a bit of blood in the produce cooler that also belonged to Brian. The blood that was found in there was smeared on the produce boxes and there was also a couple of bloody fingerprints on the door to the produce cooler. What was really not talked about ever during this case is the fact that there was not just one person's blood. There was two. Some of the blood that was found obviously belonged to Brian, but it is unknown at this time who the other blood belonged to. Another thing that had been found inside the produce cooler on the ground was a circular stain. And they had questioned multiple people about this because when it was tested with aluminol, it did show that there was blood there prior. One of the people questioned was Mr. Cacharo. He said that he had came in on December 21st, the very next morning, and when he went in the produce cooler, there was this liquid on the floor. He said it was red, but it was very clearish red. And he had thought that maybe somebody had spilt Hawaiian punch. So he asked one of the boys, 
Rob Render, who was on shift again the next morning, to go in there and clean it up with a mop. I would assume that the reason Mr. Cresharo thought that this was spilled Hawaiian punch and not blood would be for the fact that whoever did kill Brian inside that produce cooler obviously tried to clean up the evidence. Once they find that blood in the produce cooler, they really start focusing in on who was there that night and who was working because obviously whoever was working there is who is responsible for Brian's death. The two people that got really focused on was Mario Cacharo and Rob Rinder. With Johnsburg being such a small town and something like this happening, of course rumors are flying and people are saying things and police end up finding out that Brian was actually selling marijuana to the teenagers there in Johnsburg, which is really out of his character. And who Brian was getting the supply from is really unknown. And so police are trying to figure out where is this marijuana supply coming from? Instead of focusing on Rob Render, who obviously is using drugs and has a criminal record, for whatever reason, the police start focusing on Mario Cacharo. And that is because after questioning people in the town, mutual friends of Brian and Mario's, they said that Mario was also one who was known to smoke pot and sell small amounts of marijuana to his friends. However, with no body and extremely little evidence, there is not much the police can do. So at this point, Brian's case ends up just going cold. Although Brian's case did go cold and there was very little evidence to be able to pinpoint exactly who killed Brian, the Carricks were really convinced that Mario got Brian to sell drugs for him. They were sure that maybe Brian owed a debt because, according to lots of friends in town, Brian was one of those dealers who just like gave pot away to his friends. And so of course, somebody has to come up with that money. So the Carrick family and lots of other people in town just assumed that Mario did something to Brian in order to clear that drug debt. But again, without hardly any evidence and without a body, there was absolutely nothing that the police could do. But this did of course cause a huge division between the Carricks and the Cacharos, which people were really shocked about for the fact that they were so close for so many years. The Carricks really did eventually end up losing hope that they were ever going to get justice for their son. But that was until after seven years of Brian missing, somebody finally was arrested for his murder. Remember Shane Lamb? He's the one who was a stock boy at the store just months prior to Brian's death. He's the one who was 14 and spending time in jail for aggravated attempted murder. And also he's a huge felon when it comes to drugs. Well, in 2010, lo and behold... Shane Lamb was arrested again on drug charges for cocaine, but this time he was almost facing 25 years to life in prison for these cocaine charges. At the time of Shane's arrest, the other person also in jail for drug charges was Rob Render. And with it being a long time after Brian's death, these two are no longer teenagers. They are grown men. Illinois' assistant state's attorney, Michael Combs, ends up getting word that both Rob Render and Shane Lamb have been arrested at the same time. So he plans to take full advantage of this opportunity. Michael Combs ends up going to Shane Lamb and saying, look, you're about to face life in prison on these cocaine charges. But if you can tell us what happened to Brian Carrick, we will lessen your charges and we will give you full immunity for anything you tell us relating to Brian's death. So of course to a criminal, he's thinking, okay, Life in prison or I can get my charges reduced. Of course, a criminal is going to take that deal. On videotape, Shane Lamb ends up giving a complete confession about what happened to Brian on the night of December 20th. Shane says that on the night of December 20th, he ends up getting a call from Mario. And Mario says, dude, look, Brian owes him this money for this marijuana. 
I need you to come rough him up so that way I can get him to pay me this money. Shane says he was at a party at the time. He was super high on drugs, but he wanted to help out his buddy. So he ends up going to the grocery store to help Mario. He says that when he arrived at Val's Foods, Brian was there. Him and Brian started arguing. He took Brian to the produce cooler and he starts just punching Brian in the face over, over, over in the head over and over again. Shane said that there was just blood pouring from his nose and his mouth and he had hit him so many times that he eventually laid there just unconscious. Shane says he turns to Mario who was standing in the doorway of the cooler while this was going on and he says to him, what do you want me to do with this kid? And Mario said, just leave him. Go back to your party. I'll figure out the rest. Without any evidence to back up this confession, the police end up arresting Mario Cacharo for Brian's murder. And of course, the Carrick family, who believed all along that Mario did it, is just ecstatic that finally they can breathe. Somebody's been charged for their son's murder. After he ends up being charged with Brian's murder, he goes to trial, and that trial ends up in a hung jury. But the prosecutors tell Mario, like, we're going to get you. You're going away for murder. During the second trial, the prosecutors really made a big deal about the marijuana that Mario was dealing to his friends. Even though all of his friends had said that it was just tiny, small amounts of marijuana, the prosecutors made it sound like Mario was running this, like, huge, insane drug cartel there in Johnsburg. They blew it up to be what it was not at all. Although I will say that whoever Brian was dealing for at the time, I do believe that person was running a big drug ring. Because they had Shane's confession and the prosecutors really pushed the argument that Mari was basically running a drug cartel, the jury ends up finding him guilty for Brian's murder during that second trial. Mario and I actually have a mutual friend, so... Holly and I did ask that friend to see if they would reach out to Mario and see if he would talk to us, but unfortunately we were not able to work anything out. But Mario did actually do an interview with 2020, and he stated to them that he was thoroughly shocked when he ended up being found guilty for Brian's murder. In November of 2013, Mario was sentenced to 26 years in prison for Brian's murder. Of course, to the Carrick family, this was a huge win. But for the Cacharo family, it was a huge loss. Mario was sent to the Menard prison in Illinois, which is like the absolute worst prison in Illinois. John Wayne Gacy spent his time there. Like that tells you how bad of a place that is. Before I go any further, I want to go back to Shane's confession a little bit because when Shane said that Brian was there unconscious, he was talking about the fact that Brian was actually dead. So Shane ends up completely confessing to the fact that he beat Brian so bad that he died. But if you remember, the prosecutor, Michael Combs, told Shane, if you tell us what happened to Brian, we'll give you complete immunity. So Shane completely ends up confessing to killing Brian, and he gets away with it because he was given immunity. Why would you 100% give immunity to a murderer? So Mario wasn't even actually charged with physically murdering Brian, he was charged for orchestrating Brian's murder. And according to 2020, that charge has never ever been given to anybody in the state of Illinois. Mario was the very first one. The reason the Cacharo family really felt that this was a loss for them was the fact that they know that their son did not kill Brian Carrick. They know he did not physically kill him and they know that that he did not orchestrate his murder. Remember when Shane said that Mario called him from that party to come to the store and rough up Brian? 
The Cresharo family ended up handing over his phone records to the investigators, and it showed that there was absolutely no calls made from Mario's phone to Shane, like Shane had stated in that confession. Not only was their phone record showing that there was no call made from Mario to Shane, Mario actually had an alibi for that timeline that Shane gave. During the initial questioning of the employees that were there on December 20th, they had all said that they were in the break room eating pizza with Mario during the time that Brian would have been murdered in the produce cooler. But for whatever reason, that was not good enough for the jury. So at this point, Mario is serving time in prison for a murder that he had absolutely nothing to do with. But if Mario didn't do it, then who did? And why in the world would Shane ever confess to killing Brian per Mario's instructions? For years, people were led to believe that Mario was the one who orchestrated his murder. Shane is the one who killed him. But that was until years after Mario was sitting in prison, Shane ended up admitting that he was completely coerced into giving that confession and that the confession he gave was an absolute lie. Shane ends up completely recanting his entire confession. Although Shane did admit that he lied, this did not get Mario out of prison and those charges dropped. So the Cacharo family knew they had to do something big in order to be able to get Mario exonerated. The Cacharos end up hiring Kathleen Zellner, who is one of the most well-known attorneys. She is known for working on cases for people who were wrongly convicted, and that is exactly what happened to Mario in this case. During an interview with 2020, Kathleen Zellner ends up telling them that right away, she could tell that there were so many inconsistencies in this entire case. And that there was absolutely not a shred of evidence to be able to back up the fact that Mario orchestrated this murder or that even Shane had anything to do with this murder. Which completely shocks people because to them it's like why in the world would Shane ever admit to killing Brian when he had absolutely nothing to do with it? Because it turns out based on evidence and phone records and questioning, Shane never even actually left that party he was at on December 20th. He never left. He never went to Val's that night. But Kathleen Zellner explains it very easily. The state's attorney went to Shane and said, look, you're looking at life in prison on these charges. We will lessen the charges if you can tell us what happened to Brian Carrick and no matter what you did, we will give you immunity. And it's because for whatever reason that assistant state's attorney had it out for Mario and he was going to make sure that Mario went away for his murder. Shane Lamb also did an interview with 2020 and they asked him too, like, why would you lie? And he says exactly what Kathleen said. I was looking at life in prison over cocaine charges and at the time, I did not care about anybody but myself. So when Michael Combs gave me the opportunity to be able to get my sentence reduced, no matter what I said, no matter who I said did it, I was not going to be in trouble for it. So I was going to lie. So then 2020 asks him, well, why now? Why are you telling the truth now? Shane said, while he was in prison for the sentence of the cocaine charges, he said that he's really changed his life. He's trying to be a better person. And every night he could not go to sleep knowing that he helped put a man in prison for murder he did not commit. Shane also stated that it wasn't even just the fact that he put him away in prison, it was the fact that he helped put him in a prison like Menard, again, which is one of the worst prisons in Illinois. He said, I just could not live with the fact 
that Mario is going to be spending 26 years in one of the worst prisons because of something that I lied about. He said my conscience has to come clean and people have to know that Mario nor I had anything to do with Brian's death. The Carrick family deserves to really know who took their son's life. Kathleen, being this badass attorney she is, starts really digging into this investigation, and she made the original investigators and the estate's attorneys look like idiots. Not long after she starts investigating this case, she says, Why was Rob Rinder never arrested for Brian Carrick's murder. And this statement just completely throws people through a loop because Rob Rinder was never really a prime suspect in this case. Yes, he was questioned, but the police just kind of left it at that. They asked Rob, where were you? He says at the store, I was working, I saw Brian, but I was busy doing stocking and helping with the bag boys. So the cops just kind of left it at that. But what Kathleen Zellner ends up finding out after watching the interrogation tapes from Rob Rinder, there's a complete other story that has never been told. She finds in those interrogation tapes that there is actually a two-hour period on December 20th where Rob is completely unaccounted for, even though he was still clocked in at the grocery store. All the employees said during this time frame, in this two hours, they had no idea where Rob went to. He could not be found. After Kathleen further investigates the situation with Rob, turns out that he owed Brian Carrick $500 for marijuana. According to employee statements that were given when Brian initially went missing, some of them had stated that they saw Brian come in and he asked where Rob was and that these same employees end up seeing Brian and Rob in a huge argument together. What I want to know is how come these statements went completely ignored? They were never brought up, ever, in this investigation. Because Kathleen was saying that Rob is likely the one who murdered Brian because they were in an argument, they asked her to back up her claim. So Kathleen states that she believes what happened was that people saw them arguing, so Rob got Brian to be able to follow him back to the produce cooler, and that's where the fight became physical. Another key piece of evidence that was completely ignored during this case was a box cutter that was found at the store that had Brian's blood on it. So based on the blood splatter and the blood smear in the box cutter, Kathleen believes that once the fight got physical in the produce cooler, Rob ends up slicing Brian's throat from behind him. And when Brian began to fall, he fell onto Rob Rob put his hand onto the door, which would cause bloody fingerprints, and then Rob let Brian fall to the ground, but as he fell to the ground, his body was hitting the boxes, which would explain the blood smear all the way down the boxes to the floor. Kathleen further explained this would be a really good reason why Rob was unaccounted for for two hours. He got into a fight with Brian, he killed Brian, had to get rid of his body. But people really still had a lot of questions with her theory because Rob was no longer alive during this time. Like I said, he had overdosed on heroin after Brian's death. So it wasn't really like police could investigate Kathleen's claims, but it was just enough to be able to get Mario exonerated for Brian's murder. 
While a lot of people were really upset that Mario was released from prison for Brian's murder, I have to agree with Kathleen Zellner on this. After hearing what was in the investigation tapes and seeing Rob's behavior, he seemed extremely guilty. The police kept saying to Rob, you don't just disappear for two hours in a small grocery store and not anybody see you. Where were you during those two hours? But Rob did keep saying to the police that he was there at the grocery store and he doesn't understand why nobody saw him. The police then would ask him like, okay, well, if you were in the grocery store, what were you doing? And he would say, oh, um, I don't know, like I maybe I was stocking or maybe I was help bagging or maybe I was in the back doing something. Rob Brinder was questioned pretty quickly after Brian's blood was found in Val's, so it's not like it has been years and he forgot exactly what he was doing. A 17-year-old boy should know exactly what he was doing at that time during those two hours. Even if he was screwing off, not doing his job, he still could have given an honest answer straightforward about what he was doing and he could not do it. Like I stated before, even though the police were not able to really further investigate Kathleen's claims because Rob was no longer alive, Kathleen was able to give so many strong points and strong arguments and put out really good evidence, it poked so many holes in the prosecution's theory that they had no choice but to exonerate Mario Cacharo for Brian's murder. Even though it is not able to be 100% proven that Rob is the one who murdered Brian due to the fact that this investigation was handled extremely poorly from the very beginning, I do have to agree with Kathleen on her findings. What are the odds that Rob does owe this kid money, they were seen arguing, and Rob just disappears? That's not just a coincidence. Rob Rinder's family did do an interview with 2020 and spoke on his behalf and they were very upset that Kathleen was saying that Rob is the one who likely killed Brian. They said that Rob would never hurt somebody and if he did owe Brian money, why would he kill somebody over marijuana? And that's where my own speculation and opinion comes in, which we don't really like to give, but it kind of makes sense that if Brian really was dealing for some bigger drug ring, Brian could have went over to Val's, said to Rob, look, you owe me 500 bucks, I have to give it to my supplier or I'll turn you into my supplier and you're going to be even in more danger. That could have easily given Rob a reason to hurt Brian because he's scared of whoever Brian's supplier was. This case is really sad because nobody got justice in this case. Nobody won. Not the Carricks, not the Kasharos. The Carricks have never been able to lay their son to rest. Brian has never gotten justice for his death. And the Kasharos' life was flipped upside down and ruined. The state's attorney and the assistant's state's attorney really screwed over the Carrick family and the Kasharo family in this entire situation. Instead of going after the real killer... They were so adamant for whatever reason to pin this on Mario with absolutely no physical evidence and they were able to pull it off by baiting Shane Lamb and hanging that reduced sentence in his face to get that false confession to get what they wanted, Mario Cacharo behind bars. I hope for the Carrick family that someday, some way, somehow, they're going to be able to lay Brian to rest but I do have to agree with Kathleen Zellner and the evidence that she presented that Rob Render is the one responsible for his death. 
and given that he is deceased, I do not believe that's going to happen. Growing up in that area, I do remember so many different rumors flying around about where Brian could be. Two of the biggest rumors that flew around was one that Brian may have been cut up in the meat grinder and then served to the public in ground meat, which is absolutely disgusting and horrible for his family to even have to think about. And the second rumor was that if Mario did do it, that Mario's big, huge mob Italian family chopped up Brian and dumped his body parts in a river in Iowa. Unfortunately, I do not believe the Carricks are ever going to find out what truly happened to their son, and that is absolutely heartbreaking. I pray that one day they can find closure on this case. The more we talk about Brian and his story, the more that hopefully somebody will step up and say exactly what happened. Because if Rob really is responsible for Brian's death, there is no way a teenager was able to pull this off by himself. I do believe that there is other people who were involved in the disposal of Brian's body, and I think that is people that are connected to Rob. So I hope that if there was people also involved in this, that they one day might have a conscience like Shane Lamb and step up and say what happened because the Carrick family deserves to get justice. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram where I will have pictures of Brian Carrick, Mario Cacharo, the Carrick Home, Bell's Food Store, Rob Render, and Shane Lamb. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care. Thank you.